Hey, everybody, welcome into another edition of Toe in the Slab Pitching with David Cohn. In the heat of the postseason, the championship series are complete. After another riveting game seven, we're going to talk about it from the pitching angle, of course. We do it with David Cohn, we do it with James Smythe, and myself, Justin Shackle. Our wonderful producer, Dan Allen Rourke, is with us as well. So the World Series is set. D backs and Rangers, they'll meet in game one on Friday in Arlington. And guys, wow, uh, two teams end up that were uh, trailing 3-2 in their respective championship series. They end up winning game six and seven on the road. So hats off to Texas, hats off to Arizona. We were on here yesterday talking about how fans should be following the home run. And uh, the Diamondbacks said, take your home runs and shove it. They win game seven in Philadelphia and they completely shut down this vaunted Phillies offense that looked like it had destiny on its side earlier in this series and earlier in this postseason. That was a really good, a quality Game 7 in the NLCS on Tuesday night. What did you guys think? I did. You know, I I, I think, uh, you know, Brandon Fought is a, is a star in the making, really. I mean, his stuff is real. You know, we, we tended to talk about him as, you know, in context of his regular season numbers, hey, look, who, who is this guy? You know, he's got over a five ERA in the regular season. When you look under the hood at his stuff, you know, it's high quality in my mind. Right. And he shut down a formidable offense. And, Coney, what happened? We were talking about the home run ball and how a teams that had been out had that didn't homer while their opponent did had not won a single postseason game this year. And then in game seven of the NLCS, the Diamondbacks squeak it out four to two. Did not see that coming uh, <laughs> without a doubt. And that that is kind of, uh, you know, what the Diamond Diamondbacks did. They kept the ball in the ballpark the last couple of games, and that was the secret to their success. So lack of the home runs was a story. If you can keep Philly in the ballpark, that that's the formula to beat them. It, the, the, that's the essence of the Diamondbacks, right? They, like, turn logic right on its head, upside down. They, they play baseball. I mean, especially in Game 7. As soon as they start running later on in this series – I think you see other dimensions starting to open up. Uh, uh, you know, how often do we see it in game seven? Uh, guy gets on, stolen base, bunts, sacrifice flies. That's how they were able to beat this big, bad Phillies lineup. It was impressive. Yeah, it was impressive. I thought, uh, you know, Tori Lavolo did a great job managing that team. He got a hot bullpen. He had them lined up just the way he wanted them. Everybody knew their roles. And he knew when Ryan Thompson came in, he's the first guy out of the bullpen. And the Yankee fans know him from his Tampa Bay Rays days, and he was tough. He was on his game. All those guys were on their game. And if you look at the box score, you only got four innings from your starter. So you got five one-hit, no-run innings from your bullpen. And all of them lined up. All of them did their jobs right down to, to Paul Seawald at the end, who they got in a trade with the Mariners at, at the trade deadline. Turned out to be a, a big move for them. So we'll take a look at Game 7 of the NLCS, examine the pitching angles from this game. Play Monday morning quarterback, of course, uh, but we'll try and reposition our minds in real time and, and give everyone a fair shake here. I don't think there were too many things that you could kind of second guess. But we'll, we'll take a look at the World Series as well. Who to give an edge with the bullpen, the rotation, the X factors, and then there are a couple of loose ends outside of the postseason. We seemingly have an, a new manager for the Giants. We don't have a manager now for the Padres. Also, the Red Sox make a hire for their baseball ops department, so we'll cover all that. But let's start it off with the opener here. And as this World Series matchup is set, David, how do you want to start us off here with the opener? Well, I, I guess it's a good time to kind of uh, shine a spotlight on the postseason format. You know, it's expanded, obviously, now. 
Last year we saw the Phillies get in with 86 wins. This year it's the Diamondbacks with 84 wins and the ticket to the World Series. Um, I, you know, the, the, there's lots of different ways to to slice it and dice it. I mean, major markets, TV executives are looking maybe for a different matchup, but you know what? This is the way it works out. The Diamondbacks deserve to be there. They got hot at the right time. They knocked off the big boys. They kept the ball in the ballpark, so give them credit. And when you look in the dugout at the emotions of everybody, I, I still get caught up, you know, obviously with my own personal experiences, watching Joe Torre cry in the dugout when we beat Baltimore to go to the World Series. Sometimes that's the most emotional one that you actually get to the World Series. And then we saw it with Brett Strom in the dugout last night. I mean, the veteran pitching pitching coach who was uh, – was incredible in his Houston years, credited with Garrett Cole's turnaround, Justin Verlander, many, many more, and takes on a new job out in Arizona. He's got a bunch of young kids out there, and here he is, finds himself back in the World Series. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around um, the, I guess, the conventional wisdom that so many have where they say the postseason's a crapshoot. I just, I, 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 for the longest time, I can't subscribe to that. I find it as an excuse. I, I, I take a look at some of these, these powerhouses over the last couple of seasons, the Astros, of course, in the American league, the Phillies getting it done to reach the championship series and back-to-back years. And then you take a look at this matchup and it's like, maybe, maybe it is a crapshoot. Like I'm having a tough time to defend the crowd where they say the postseason's not a crapshoot here. Is there anything you guys could help me out with, with that? Well, I think it is. And it's been like that for a long time. You know, the, they, we went from the top two teams in each, the top team in each league, top two teams go right to the world series. And we did that until 1968, 69, they start divisional play. We have a 14 playoff now. Within a few years, you had the the you gotta believe 1973 Mets getting to a World Series with only 82 wins. And the 1987 Twins, they only had 85 wins. They won the World Series. The recent more a little more recently, the 2006 Cardinals won a World Series with 83 wins. So this does happen from time to time. And then sometimes you get the the powerhouse team that does win it all. So it's a little bit of both, but with the new format you're inviting more teams to the dance and you're doing more rounds, which gives teams a bigger chance to get picked off sooner than we might think. So you might be inviting this to happen more often, but I don't think it's necessarily happening more often, even if this might happen, you know, a little more often moving forward because we, it's still early with the playoff format. What we've done is that we've expanded the playoffs very quickly more and more, you know, we had eight teams in the playoffs from 1995 until 2010 or 2011. So that's my formidable years as a as a baseball fan and thinking like, you know, and Shaq, you're around the same age. So it's like, oh, I, I tend to think, well, that's how it was when I was a little kid. Maybe that was the sweet spot. Then you go to 10 teams and you only keep that format for 10 years and then you go to 12. And now I'm sure it'll be a only a matter of time until it goes to 14 or 16. So it's the combination of expanding the playoffs and also doing it more often, which is kind of accelerating this process. I'm going to hang on and not subscribe to the the crapshoot crowd, but this is definitely a win for them. This is a day where they can be dancing here and you have the D-backs, an 84-win team, and the Rangers, a team that many people probably weren't counting on 
in the in a month like September, where it looked like it was uh, going to be a gamble for them to even make October. But uh, here, both teams are game one Friday night. Before we get to the World Series, let's talk about game seven, game six as well, because the D-backs won both in a hostile territory, trailing 3-2 after game five. How did the Diamondbacks neutralize this Phillies offense? And we touched on it earlier. They made the home run a non-factor. How'd they do it? Well, their starting pitching was better than they were given credit for. I mean, we knew about Zach Gallen. Merrill Kelly's a veteran, really good pitcher that a lot of people around around the country maybe not have have maybe not don't know much about him or or not even though he's a bit of a veteran. We we mentioned fought last night and his stuff. He had a three thousand mile uh, three thousand RPM uh, slider going there. Sweeper, his sweeper was real. As I when I mean, you talk about Brandon Fault. Fought, you know, you think, uh, man, young rookie pitcher, wow, kind of got beat up a little bit in the regular season. He's better, better than you think he is. So their pitching was underrated. Their bullpen got hot. Tori Lavolo, uh, Lavello did a great job of managing his bullpen, his pitching, taking guys out. We saw <clears throat> that he had a confrontation with Merrill Kelly when he took him out after five innings. And that was a classic new school, old school kind of an argument. How could you take him out? He just struck out the the, the important part of the, of the lineup. He just got through the top of the order. Why not push him, you know, for another inning? But Lovello, Lovello knew what he was doing. He knew Ryan Thompson was hot. He had his bullpen pieces lined up. Their roles very specific. So, yeah, their pitching was underrated. And you go back to, you know, uh, Brett Strom. He deserves a feather in his cap. He got a young, inexperienced pitching staff to the World Series. And uh, how he did it? Wow, you know, I only they truly know. And keeping the ball in the ballpark is a big part of that, obviously. But some swings and misses, too, in, in, up and down uh, in their lineup. They can take the ball out of play. And that's one way to neutralize big power hitters is strike them out. It's kind of an all-or-nothing thing, right? You, you look at, uh, you know, Schwarber, Kyle Schwarber's all-or-nothing, right? He can You can strike them out. A lot of their hitters are, are power hitters. But if you can miss some bats and get them off balance, then you can have success. And that's, uh, the Diamondbacks proved that. Yeah, and, and hats off to Brandon Fought because he pitched a great game in game three. And even, you know, yesterday when we were previewing game seven, I highlighted, you know, his, his sketchy regular season numbers. But, Coney, you mentioned you go under the hood. Eno Saris um, of The Athletic, formerly of Fangraphs, does a lot of great stuff. You know, he noted Fought uh, last night in Stuff Plus, which is a metric, you know, judging the quality of the pitch. He has Fought Sweeper as a top 30 slider in baseball. So, and this is a young pitcher who's starting to put it together late in the season. So maybe you you mentioned like a star in the making, Coney. Maybe he's somebody that, you know, makes a name for himself, not just this October, but then can establish himself as a really quality starting pitcher in 2024 and beyond. And as far as the, the other swing and miss guys, I mean, Kevin Ginkle, uh, his break, his breaking <laughs> stuff was just vicious. I, he could have he been striking out, you know, Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle with, with mm -hmm. the stuff he had last night. Yeah, slider is nasty. Uh, Unhittable, from, yes. Yeah. Uh, fought first inning. I mean, he gets two strikeouts in the first. Ends it with striking out Harper. Completely shut down the Phillies in that first inning after his team staked him to a run early on. I thought that was massive for, for Brandon Vaught. And it's, it's fun to watch. Like you're seeing an X factor emerge for this D-backs team with each time he takes the mound here in October. And I'll I'll be guilty, man. Like when the D-backs played the Yankees late in September at Yankee Stadium, they had Brandon Fought listed as a starting pitcher one day. And I, I had never heard of him before then. Like I'm not paying 
too close attention to the the wild card race when we're in our own bubble here, you know, with 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 the Yankees and and doing every game uh, for them. And not only that, but just the D-backs in total. I mean, we had an ugly, ugly weekend of weather at Yankee Stadium in late September. I think it was like September 23rd through the 25th. Games were delayed. They were postponed. We had a double header and a really gray atmosphere at Yankee Stadium on Monday. And that did not look like the team that was going to win the pennant in the National League. But we'll, we'll get back to that point. More Tone of the Slab is coming up. People, I need to tell you about a special offer from DraftKings because the NFL season is officially here. We've partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the National Football League, to bring all new customers an exciting way to join in on the action right now. New customers, download the DraftKings app, use the promo code SLAB, S-L-A-B, fetches five bucks, and boom, $200 in bonus bets hit your account instantly. That's right, new customers who bet only $5 will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Staying on the action, use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays, combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You can still get another fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use the promo code SLAB. Again, S-L-A-B. Betches five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, easy to second guess, guys. But in the moment, did you have any issue over some pitching moves here? Like, did you have any issue in game seven over when each starting pitcher was pulled? Uh, you know, if anything, on the winning side, really. Um, you know, after four innings, you know, you go to Joe Mantiply on the Arizona side. Maybe that's the one spot because, as we mentioned before, you know, uh, Brandon Fought had – 16 swing and misses out of his 64 pitches thrown. That's a really high rate when you think about, you know, the the look under the hood, so to speak, and the spin rates and the break and the, the quality of his pitches, as James noted. So, yeah, that's the one spot that I would look at. So, Joe Mantiply, you know, I get Ryan Thompson. I get the rest of the guys. You know, we, we mentioned Ginkles had a great year, another breakout star. Uh, the young lefty, Saul Frank, you know, is kind of a – a wild card because the ball moves all over the place, but he's a little wild, but you know, he's your guy in that spot. And then of course, Ginkle and Seawald. So you had everybody lined up. So, but, but uh, yeah, that's the one question I would have had was, Hey, maybe you could have got another inning out of fault fought, but it, it worked out for them. And on the other side, Ranger Suarez, I mean, you know, they scored two in the fifth. The story on the Philly side is just not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. That's their, that's their strength. I mean, even though they got one solo shot, uh, you know, it, it really comes down to the big guys. You know, when you think about Schwarber, Harper, Turner, Castellanos, all those guys really didn't do much. And that's the story right there. They were hot. They were lighting it up. Castellanos' kids waiting for another home run, watching them, you know, high-fiving them, and, you know, down in the first row. It just did not happen. You know, Trey Turner over four, Harper over four, Castellanos over four. There's just nothing, nothing there with the big three stars that, that you really count on in big games. Right. And it just comes down to what a difference a, a swing in a series can be because this Phillies offense was rolling. And then you have it just all it takes is two games where you don't hit and you're going home. So, but as far as the pitching uh, decisions, you know, Suarez, and there was some chatter, you know, last night about, you know, did they roll with Suarez too long? But 
I didn't have a problem with him uh, facing Carroll uh, in the fifth and then going to uh, Jeff Hoffman for uh, Moreno, even though Suarez did give up a couple of runs there. I, I'm, I'm not going to kill Rob Thompson over that. Uh, the guy I, I highlighted yesterday, Alvar- Jose Alvarado, who thought this guy is going to really make a difference in this game seven. He went Geraldo Perdomo single, Cattell Marte double, Corbin Carroll sack fly, and goodbye for the for a big insurance run for Arizona. All told for Philly, though, I think they did a pretty good job uh, pitching-wise. Zach Wheeler came in and got five big outs, but the offense was flat. The, the ballpark was kind of flat by then. And you say, okay, well, if you go into game seven, and Suarez and the rest of the game, they're going to give up four runs tonight. You're probably thinking the Phillies offense is going to get their five and punch their ticket to the World Series. I think this is all about the Diamondbacks pitching staff. Coney, you're right that maybe you could have pushed fought a little more, but you do have the lefty man to apply for Schwarber and Harper at the top. And then Ryan Thompson, if anybody got on after those three batters and then, you know, man to apply getting two outs, putting one on Thompson comes in gets the big out, he goes up four, up, four down. One issue I might have had on that end, too, is that maybe you push Thompson a little further to start the seventh. Now, I don't know, because he got the last out of the fifth and then goes one, two, three in the sixth, do you bring him back out for a third, quote-unquote, inning of work? Maybe maybe you wouldn't do that, but maybe you could have pushed him against the bottom of the order. They brought in Saul Frank, and he went strikeout, walk, walk, and then Ginkle came in to put out the fire. And you talk about baseball as a game of inches, a game of millimeters. Bryce Harper just missed that ball, the, that pitch from from Ginkle to end the seventh inning, and that's the it's just a little bit of a difference between you know a, a lazy fly to center and another big October home run that could have sent the Phillies to the World Series. Yeah, there were two of two two of those balls from Harper like that, mm-hmm. both over 105 right. miles an hour off of his bat. He just got under him a little too much, kind of the, the old launch angle, a little too high. Yeah, too too deep. Deepish flyouts to uh, the opposite way in left center field. I'm I, tough for me to really nitpick some of the D backs pitching decisions. You know, I, I feel like there is, you don't want to kind of make a list and pre plan, but this is a game seven. So you just have those lists of pitching names that you know that you're going to be going to. And it, it's probably a list that you, you have more so to keep certain pitchers off. Um, it's kind of a simple formula like Mantiply for the lefties in that spot. I yeah I get it. Um, I would understand the the D backs defense. Saul Frank, like Coney mentioned, kind of a wild card, hit or miss. He's facing the bottom of the lineup, so it didn't work out in this scenario. But he's a, again a pitcher that is part of the the game seven formula. There, I guess the one thing for the Phillies, and this is this is definitely in hindsight because I just didn't think they would bring Zach Wheeler in if it wasn't a fresh inning. So. If you are taking Ranger Suarez out with a runner at second and it's now a 3-2 game, why not just bring Wheeler in? Again, if you're going to – you have no qualms about him not starting a fresh inning, why not just bring him in in a tie game at two to face Carroll? And again, that's the best pitcher that the Phillies have. It could be just a mindset thing at that point. But if you are going righty after a left-hander, that was the one thing I noticed – once Wheeler did come in, well, if he's coming in here, why is he coming in at the tie game with, or, you know, with runners on in the fifth? That was that was my one holdup. I don't know how you guys feel about that. No, it's, it's a valid point. When you have a wild card like Wheeler that you can throw in there, but he's a starting pitcher and you have to worry yeah. about his routine and getting him warmed up properly. It's not like it's an easy guy to, to, to call down there and get ready in, in two or three minutes because you're going to come in in the middle of an inning. So that's probably what Rob Thompson was thinking, trying to get him a clean inning to start. 
and then see how far you can roll with him. But yeah, it's an interesting point because anytime you know a guy like that is available and throughout the history of postseason, we've seen dramatic appearances from starting pitchers. I remember Randy Johnson pitching in 95 in the Seattle series, walking in from the bullpen. Jack McDowell, a starting pitcher on the other side, walking in from the bullpen and pitching in that game. Oral Hershiser in 1988 doing that. There's, there's several instances of starting pitchers coming in and, you know, on, with one day rest or two days rest. So how you use them is really important. And how much time you give them to get ready is also really important. Yeah, Mike Messina in Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS, Madison Bumgarner in the World Series. We've, we've seen it a lot in these do-or-die games. And, Coney, is it a matter of, yes, you, you have to get the starter kind of ramped up sooner and, and go about his own routine. Is it easier to do that when you're looking ahead saying, I can do this in the seventh inning and maybe try and have him bridge us to the end as opposed to, you know, having to, to jump in, in maybe in the fifth inning where if you're – want to bring him in in the fifth does that mean you have to start to get that ball rolling in the third to get him ramped up and then once he's hot you got to bring him in is there a little more uncertainty when you're in the middle of the game like that yes you hit it right on the head there you know if you're going to get him up then he's got to get it in the game he's he's not a guy you know a wheeler or a starting pitcher and it's not a guy you could get up two or three times you know we call it like false alarms so to speak where you okay get hot okay i don't need you now so sit back down we'll, we'll, we'll get you ready the next inning that's something you can't do with starting pitchers in that spot. Absolutely. You've got to be careful. And if you're riding out Ranger Suarez and trying to get another inning out of him, okay, it's fourth inning. Can I bring Wheeler in to start the fifth, so to speak, you know, uh, or do we try to push Ranger Suarez? And then once you push him out there to the next inning, that takes Wheeler off the table for that particular inning. You got to wait till the next clean inning to get him in. So yeah, that that's, that's the game you play. If you're Rob Thompson, you know, you're thinking, well, let me get one more inning. Let me squeeze it. Next thing you know, you got base runners, you got trouble. And your best pitcher you can't use because you started the inning already with your with the starting pitcher and you don't have time to get Wheeler ready and, and loose and get into the game. It's just not optimal for, for him. It's it's there's a ton of variables at play here for Rob Thompson, because my argument, if I wanted to keep leaning in on this, you know, Zach Wheeler coming into the fifth is like, well, you know, you're obviously cognizant that the third the, the lineup's coming up a third time through. I don't know, just based on the results. You know, you necessarily thought that you were going to see Corbin Carroll in that fifth inning because there was a lot that happened in order for the Diamondbacks to get the top of the lineup to the plate. So, yeah, not enough time there. Like if we were a little bit closer to the top of the lineup, I, I would probably think that they would have told Zach Wheeler, hey, get ready to go again, knowing that they have no issue with him coming out in a situation where it's the middle of an inning. Hey, get ready for the top of the lineup whenever it, it happens. I don't I don't necessarily think that they thought the Diamondbacks were going to put that much traffic on against Rangers Suarez to get the top of the lineup to the plate in that fifth inning. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. There's just a lot that happened here in the in that in that fifth for uh for the Phillies. And that's why, you know, they play the game here. Um so that's one thing I'll say about the the Phillies pitching in that situation, but really well managed in terms of pitching decisions. Uh, I, I liked it a lot. It was a really compelling game. Uh, any other curiosities that you, that you guys had with with Game Seven in terms of moves, decisions, something that jumped out at you? Not really. Nothing specific. When you have you know a low scoring, pretty clean game like that, then it just really kind of falls back to the stars. You know, whenever you do on a whenever we do a broadcast, you guys know this. And, 
you're looking for stars and strategy and you know you you, you expect that the the spotlight to kind of uh present itself for some of these guys and it just didn't come through for those guys you know especially on the philly side and he kept thinking hey, harper's gonna do it again you know one of those two games you know or schwarber or castellanos and Turner, they just were so deep with sluggers and they had such a good feel in their home ballpark. And we talked about the home field advantage in Philly. And that's really what it comes down to. You cannot give Arizona enough credit here going into Philly and doing that. And what is right now the number one baseball ballpark in terms of home field advantage, it's Philadelphia right now. And the fan base was in love with this team. And for them to not come through in those two games and none of their stars step up and for Arizona to pitch the way they did. Wow. You, you can't say enough about Arizona, you know, going into Philly and doing what they did. The, the reaction from the Phillies clubhouse afterward was like super raw. I mean, Bryce Harper and, and other players taking complete ownership of it. Harper saying, I let the city down Castellanos who had a big strikeout in a situation where the Phillies had runners on in the fourth, he said, it, you know, this feeling, it's a disgusting feeling. So and they were not shying away from the mics. They took full accountability, but you're right. All the credit goes to the Diamondbacks for stepping up and coming into that hostile crowd in Philadelphia. That was the number one spot in the postseason. Citizens Bank Park was rocking each and every game. And that is one of the reasons I think a lot of people wanted to continue seeing the Phillies on this run they were they were rooting for these endearing players because of the way their fans were, were treating them and that's kind of like a philly oxymoron right there you don't see that often so this was a a new slice of philadelphia that i feel like the rest of america was seeing with the way the phillies were playing earlier and the way that the energy in their home ballpark was was looked at from the outside all right world series coming up game one in texas rangers and d-backs later on the uh, this week, Friday night, that will be game one, the setting there. Wh whose style of play are you rolling with between the D-backs and the Rangers? Well, you know, the, the D-backs are just a great story, but they're always going to be the underdogs. They just have to be. Um, they had a, a negative run differential this year on their season, if you think about that. Their, their uh, Pythagorean record should have been under 500, according to the – to, to the run differential. Now that's not everything. Obviously they broke the mold. They got hot late. They've got guys clicking on all cylinders right now. Their bullpens lined up as we, as we said, but they're still the underdog. The Texas Rangers have the best offense in the American league. And one of, one of the top in all of baseball, they're starting to show up now. Um, they've, they've also got some youth, you know, when you think about Evan Carter, they stepped up to a big role for them in their outfield. Uh, you know, it's the Rangers. It's uh it's Seager, it's Simeon, it's Josh Young at third base is a probably would have won the rookie of the year had he not gotten hurt this year. And then Evan Carter out there and throw in all the others as well. I think it's it's the Rangers that'll be, yeah, I don't know about heavy favorites, but they should be favored because of their offense. And the Diamondbacks certainly um you know, the they the one thing they don't have is depth in their pitching staff. You know, the, the guys that that they do have the pitch well. But there's not a lot of margin for error, even in their bullpen. They got them lined up one after another. And, uh, you know, if anything deviates off of their their script, uh, they don't have the depth to cover the Rangers offense. So to me, it's it's the Rangers that should be a prohibitive favorite. Yeah, I'm with you, Coney, and that's not a knock on Arizona. They've, they've done what they've needed to do to get here. But I'm sure they relish being the underdog at this point. 
and you know they weren't given much of a chance against the Dodgers. They swept them. They weren't giving given much of a chance against Philly, especially after losing the first two games, and they beat them too. So they're probably thinking, well, why not win four, go four and three one more time and, and pull off one of the most improbable championship runs in American sports history. So I think the the Rangers are rightfully going to be favored, um, but anything can happen. And the and the Diamondbacks have shown that even if they didn't pitch this well for most of the regular season. They are that staff is on all cylinders right now. And if they could shut down the Dodgers and if they could shut down the Phillies, why not Texas too? That's the one area where I'm definitely giving the the D-backs a, a real chance here because their pitching is just such in a rhythm right now. They're rolling. They've slayed dragons in the National League. What is one more team? You know, who are the Rangers after you get by the Dodgers? And and the Phillies here, I, I'm going to make a boxing analogy. This is like a skilled boxer who punches with precision. That's that's the D-backs. And they're going up against a, a decorated knockout artist who has some skill, too, and likes to fight right in front of you. You know, like they're not coming uh, into this fight from, from a distance. They they have no problem getting in your grill and going right to work. Now, the the precision puncher, the, the skilled boxer can sometimes get by on just that alone. They don't necessarily have to match the power, but they have to be on their A game throughout. So the Diamondbacks cannot take their foot off the gas pedal at all during the series. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves uh, on the mat pretty quickly. Now, I mean, they were down 0-2, so anything could happen after that. But uh, again, I think this is a uh, this is an underdog situation for the Diamondbacks. I do give the edge to the Rangers, but watch out because I am definitely not counting out uh, Arizona. Let's let's go position by position here, not specifically around the diamond, but bullpen, rotation, offense, starting with the bullpens, because both units were seriously in doubt in the eyes of many. Whose bullpen are you giving the edge to at the start of this series? Well, yeah, I, I'm pretty impressed with the Diamondbacks because they're they're very defined in their roles, and everybody seems to know exactly when – when the when the bullpen phone rings, whose turn it is to pitch, and that's an underrated facet when you're dealing with human beings, especially relievers, who tend to be a little flaky at times, and they like to know their roles, and it does have an impact. So I don't know if there's any significant advantage one way or the other. I think obviously Texas has their own question marks when you think about you know Roldis Chapman and what what he's going to do at the end of games, I and mean, the Yankee fans know that very well. That roller coaster ride. Uh, you know, we saw Ginkle as a setup guy, what kind of a year he's had. So yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty solid. Uh, but I, more, I, I would say pretty closer to even Steven on the bullpen side. I don't see a significant advantage one way or another. Well, I think it's going to come down to who's going to have the greater concentration of their innings in their top guys, you know, where, the Rangers bullpen, it's all about Spores, Chapman, and LeClerc at the end and trying to avoid everyone else. For the D-backs, with Saul Frank being a little more of a, of a wild card and you know it'll make a nice symmetrical top three versus top three, you have Spores, Chapman, and LeClerc on, on the Texas side, Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawald on the Arizona side. Looking at those bullpens, so the trio for the Rangers has a 2-4-9 ERA. Everyone else, 5-0-9. Diamondbacks. Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawald, 0.98 ERA this postseason. Everyone else, 5.06. So you have the 
In the bullpen, you have those three versus everyone else. And then in the rotations, Evaldi, Montgomery for Texas, Kelly, and Gallon for Arizona. You're going to have to use guys in games, you know, three and four. But it's going to come down to what do you get out of your top five pitchers? Your top two in the rotation, your top three in the bullpen. I think whoever gets the better concentration of their innings out of their top five, trying to avoid those other guys, that's who's going to come out on top pitching-wise. Well said. Um, and I'm giving the edge to the D-backs, uh, right? If you're putting three against three and and not focusing on the top five, just bullpen here, I'm definitely I'm, – I'm giving the edge to the D-backs r- uh, right now. I have – I have doubts in Aroldis Chapman getting that big out. Like David said, we've seen this before. Um, I, I just think the D-backs and the back end of that bullpen's rolling with a lot of momentum. And yeah, Saul Frank is a wild card. Uh, half of that time, he could be on. So hopefully, you know, he's sprayed with some some good luck in this series for that D-backs bullpen. Touching on the starters, yes, both are top-heavy. But we need to focus on this number three starter now in this World Series, this starting spot, because you have Max Scherzer, a future Hall of Famer, going up against this uh, emerging talent and Brandon Fott. In terms of the rotation, who's getting the edge here, guys? Yeah, I really think that uh, Andrew Heaney could be a wild card here and matching up with the Diamondbacks left-handed hitters. You know, Corbin Carroll's their best hitter. Uh, Alec Thomas in center field, a lefty too. I mean, yeah, there's a possibility that – you're going to look at matchups. you got to go even a little deeper here. Who's going to start game four? Uh, how are you going to use Andrew Heaney in that spot? He could be a, a bit of a wild card that, that swings it to Texas way, Texas way in my mind, uh, especially if you can, if you can find a way to neutralize those lefties, you know, and, and namely I'm looking at Corbin Carroll. He's the guy. Now, who do we got that, that can match up with him? That might be Andrew Heaney. He's tough, tough on lefties. Um, that, that could be interesting there. So it's still, you know, pitching wise, you know, that Max Scherzer is a big wild card here, obviously, as we saw, is he healthy? Can he, can he give you some innings? What's he going to, what's he going to be like in a, in a game three matchups? And if he's game three, he's game seven as well. So yeah, Max Scherzer is obviously the one guy you got to keep an eye on. But to me, the wild card is Andrew Heaney, a guy who could be very effective at times, you know, Yankee fans know Andrew Heaney He was there for, for for a bit of, for a bit of time, and of course the Angels for a long time. So he's always been a bit of an enigma. You know his his stuff is, is good. The riding fastball, the slider, the the look under the hood. He's got stuff, and if he's on, he could be he could be a, a good contributor for them. You know, you you bring up Heaney like that, Coney. It got me thinking. Is is this a situation where maybe you think about starting him in Game Three, push Scherzer back to a Game Four, and just say we're going to put Max. Just an extra day of rest, all in on one game, and then Heaney can handle game three with Dane Dunning waiting in the wings as, as, a, as a piggyback spot, and then maybe Heaney would get the ball in a game seven with those lefties on Arizona's lineup. It's, it's possible. You know, you got to dig – you got to really peel back some layers on the matchups, the individual matchups here up and down the lineup. And, you know, obviously I'm I'm old school. I'm the guy who likes to circle – Circle one guy in the lineup. This is the guy right here. We're going to pitch around him, and we're we're not going to let him uh, beat us. If you're facing Arizona, you know that's Corby Carroll. You know he's the guy you circle, even though they have a young star in Gabriel Moreno, the young catcher who looks like a a, a real keeper, a real solid catcher all the way around with with a good bat. So that there's some good stories up and down for the Diamondbacks in, in terms of their lineup, but it all centers around Corbin Carroll, who's going to be the rookie of the year and one of the best young players in the game. 
as far as the stars and storylines go, I'm really intrigued just how the Rangers are going to handle and map out a 39-year-old future Hall of Famer in Max Scherzer with these matchups. Like you mentioned, James, if they have him come out in game four and you have Heaney as the game three starter, probably the game seven starter in that moment, like you have can you know Scherzer available out of the bullpen in a potential uh, game seven. So how they utilize Max Scherzer in this situation is really intriguing to me. Um, if you're going two versus two, you know, Avaldi, Montgomery, Gallon, and Kelly, I'm going to give the edge to the Rangers in that sense. But in the aggregate, I think just the emergence of thought, I'm I'm more inclined to lean toward Arizona. But that's just, you know, three versus three. And, and again, these matchups could unveil a different approach from the Rangers that we've yet to see uh, in the postseason. So it's 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 interesting there. Those lefties in the lineup for Arizona could force the Rangers to game plan a little bit different here. Uh, what about X factors, guys? Well, I kind of gave my one already with with, with Andrew Heaney, but uh, you know, to me, um, you know, if you look at the Diamondbacks, you know, to me, if you're going to really concentrate on, you know, if it's uh, Corbin Carroll, you know, to the the underrated superstar there in the Diamondbacks lineup is Christian Walker. He's really established himself to me as a guy that that deserves a lot of respect and a lot of credit. You know, this postseason, we haven't seen a, a lot of explosive moments out of him yet, but it's in there. And you, you're talking about a guy that that had 33 home runs this year. If you think about the last two or three years, the number of home runs hit by first basemen around the game, he's right. I think he's in the top three in terms of, of overall total of home runs hit. You know, one of the best offensive producing first basemen in the game that you might not know that much about. So it's a chance for somebody like him, a Christian Walker, to really step up and and show you know what kind of a player he really is gold glove first baseman as well defensively but he's got some real pop in his bat we haven't really seen him break out as of yet you know it sounds like a chalky answer but why not go with the lcs mvps on both sides that are both tearing the cover off the ball right now Cattell Marte, good bat to ball guy switch hitter versus garcia who's just mashing everything right now so which one of their mvps is going to keep the ball rolling a little more uh, for another week or so into, into the end of October. Yeah. I'm, I'm continuing to lean on the, the Scherzer factor for Texas. He needs to look more like Max Scherzer, less like a 39 year old pitcher finding his way back from an injury. And I'm going to echo Coney's sentiments on Christian Walker seven for 39 in the postseason, home run hitter, 33 homers. What you saw, over game six and seven in Philadelphia from Arizona. Walker, if if he's able to get right here, he can really accentuate what the Diamondbacks do well, provide that home run factor that can help aid them against uh, an, an offense like Texas in terms of going toe-to-toe with each strength. Uh, all right, guys, there's a lot of news going on around the league, and I, I bet you're going to hear more and more with a couple of days off until the World Series. New information is just flooding in, and while we're recording this, I'm, I'm seeing that SNY is reporting the Mets have permission from the Brewers to interview Craig Council for their managerial opening. So it seems like that is slowly shifting toward a reality where – Craig Council could become the Mets manager. And we've said it before, Craig Council could conceivably hold the keys to the entire offseason for this sport in terms of what the Brewers could do with their pitching. But let's let's go around some moves that are more concrete here because Bob Melvin has officially been named the Giants manager here. Melvin goes from San Diego 
to San Francisco. So within the division here, and I am wondering with this managerial move, are you more interested in what this means for San Francisco or what it means for San Diego? Well, wow, that that's that's a pick 'em, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a much better fit, you know, for Bob Melvin to go to, to Frisco. You know, we had heard about friction with the front office of Bob Melvin uh, in, in San Diego's front office. So we, now we know it's true. But the matchup there with the GM in, in San Francisco, they have a history there in Oakland together. Uh, you know, it's a much better, I think, a, a feel for the for a working relationship between general manager and manager. So a little bit surprised that he still had a year on his contract and was allow- allowed to walk. And I'm not even sure what the terms are. They just kind of let him go, I guess. It wasn't even a trade. They didn't get any compensation back. No. Yeah, no, no, no compensation. So that that tells you the story on the the Padres side. I think obviously the mystery is is who the Padres are going to get as a manager. They're still loaded. What does this mean for their roster? Is Juan Soto going to be traded? I mean, there's so many questions in San Diego that really need to be addressed. And they've got people in house. You know, Schilt is there. He could be the you know, former Cardinals manager. Could step right in there. Uh, they they have candidates that can step in to San Diego. Uh, AJ Preller there is more of a talent evaluator, um, very micromanaging, hands-on type of a general manager. He's not a completely new school analytical guy, even though uh, you know they have that department in San Diego. But he's more of a feel guy. And I think uh, Bob Melvin, coming from Moneyball, coming from Oakland, was used to probably a little more of a Billy Bean analytical approach. I think that'll serve him well going to San Francisco uh, with the GM that's there. You don't let a very disappointing Padres 2023 season where they went 82 and 80. Don't let that uh, overshadow the fact that Bob Melvin didn't roll out of bed and forget how to manage. He is one of the best managers in the game. I think this is a phenomenal, phenomenal pickup for the Giants. And Coney, you made a great point with the fit uh, with him in in the front office in San Francisco. As far as what it means for the Padres, we'll we'll see. I and mean, we have to know what they're going to do with the roster. There have been rumors about them trying to pair payroll. Do they trade away somebody like Juan Soto, some of their big guys? But uh, in the meantime, it's going to be in-house, uh, reportedly. Uh, they're either going to bring uh, go with Mike Schilt, who we remember from managing the Cardinals, and uh, Ryan Flaherty, who's uh, on, their, on their staff, too, uh, uh, a recent uh, Baltimore Orioles infielder, if, uh, if you remember him. So... One of those two guys will be uh, skippering the Padres, and we don't know what what kind of ingredients he's going to get in the kitchen by the time he uh, opening day rolls around. Yeah, I keep wondering when I hear a name like Ryan Flattery, uh, am I getting old or are managers getting younger? Because <laughs> I was on a minor league team. Well, I wasn't on the minor league. I was calling games for a minor league team where we had Ryan Flaherty and DJ LeMahieu in the same infield. And I remember Ryan Flaherty as a minor league player, and now – He's gone through his playing career, his coaching career. He could be on the verge of being a, a major league manager. But uh, I think this is, yeah, I think this is a better fit for Bob Melvin. Work with Farhan Zaidi in Oakland. I mean, it, off the top of my head, I think this is going to be like the fifth manager that A.J. Preller is going to be hiring in San Diego. Could be fourth, could be fifth. Fascinating offseason ahead for an underachieving uh, Padres team. So, uh, definitely on the lookout for that. The, the storylines keep going for this team, even after they are are done playing their games. But as, as soon as he was granted permission, you knew he was gone. I mean, you'd be fooling yourself to think, oh, Bob Melvin's going to go talk to the Giants and then come back and still manage the Padres if the Giants didn't deem him as the right fit there. So 
He was gone from San Diego the moment that the Padres granted him permission. And I feel like they knew that as well. So they have their plan in place. We'll see how it, how it marks out. So with um, just to pick up that on, on the managers under Preller, um, excluding interim guys like Pat Murphy, uh, Bud Black, Andy Green, Jace Tingler, Bob Melvin, four. So going to be uh, five pretty soon for the Padres. And uh, Coney mentioned the uh, Christian Walker home runs as first baseman over the last couple of years. Matt Olson, 88, Pete Alonzo, 86, Christian Walker, 69, third among first basemen in the big leagues in the home run department since 2022. All right, over in the AL East, you have the Red Sox uh, reportedly hiring Craig Breslow to run baseball ops. And everything we've heard about this process from the Red Sox uh, when they can, Heim Bloom went on the search here was that people were staying away from this position. They did not think it was stable here. Breslow's a former player. He pitched for the Red Sox, was working in the Cubs front office, a former player, but savvy with the information. Do you, I'm just wondering, though, with a manager already in place, a respectable manager with Alex Cora, the way the ownership has operated here, do you see a change in Boston's overall approach with this hire? Well, the, the only approach that probably needs to change is <clears throat> how much they're going to spend. That's the question in Boston. They have tremendous resources there. You know, I guess you could say a little bit of a sleeping giant right now, but no, I think Breslow is highly regarded. He's a former player who's now a general manager who can probably interpret the, uh, the language a little better. You know, I, I think the problem in baseball, a lot of places nowadays is in this, uh, everybody likes to use, it depends on what side of the fence you're on. It's sort of this boogeyman analytics are ruining the game kind of a thing. How many times have we heard that, you know, where the Yankees are too analytical or, you know, old time baseball fans tend to just throw that out, you know, uh, anytime they feel upset, that's not really the case. The, the, the problem in baseball is what I call the kind of the last mile guys, the guys that interpret the information and then relay that to the players is still kind of, to me, a, a market inefficiency, shall, shall we say. You need more guys like that. I think Craig Breslow's that guy. He's a guy that's really smart. He understands the analytical side of the game. He understands what it's like to still play the game. He speaks both languages. And I think to me that that's something I'm looking for now in, in, in front offices. You know, uh, you can have the best analytics department, the best information, and but how you interpret that information and how it's relayed to the players can get lost in the shuffle. Think Aaron Judge's comment at the end of the year, hey, maybe we're looking at the wrong numbers. That screams to me that there's a problem in the interpretation and who's delivering these messages to the players. It's not in the information itself. It's not analytics as the boogeyman ruining the game. Everybody, every front office has an analytics department. Every business in America has an analytics department. It's the area of big data. You'd be pretty foolish to think that that's not going to be a part of baseball too, or that that's the problem in baseball. The problem potentially in baseball is who's, who's interpreting the data, who's delivering the message. Craig Breslow's that guy. He's that guy in my mind. I, I know Craig, I've talked to him. I watched him pitch, covered him. Uh, he's, he's been in the game. He's got front office experience. I think it's a great hire for the Red Sox. I think he's a, he's the right guy at the right time for them. He was one of the, brightest players in the in the game when he played and he was I feel like a lot of times considered like hey this is the kind of guy that could be a future manager maybe we weren't giving him enough credit he's he's, he's gonna be even further upstairs but it, I think Coney we've, we've mentioned this before with the Red Sox it's gonna come down to ownership commitment how much are they gonna invest in 
turning this ship around. So I think it, a lot of it is going to fall on, on ownership too. Yeah. David mentioned them being a sleeping giant. They are on like a 12 hour a day type sleeping plan based on the way they've, they've been going about things recent years. The great Susan Waldman had the line, you know, you, you can't operate like the Rays and charge the most expensive ticket in the sport. Doesn't work. <laughs> In Boston. So, uh, yeah, good luck to Craig Breslow. I think uh, a lot of what both of you said were true about him. I mean, I was running one of the most high profile baseball operations department in the sport. So uh, that's going to wrap up this episode, guys. Uh, another sign that we are getting old. I see my friend Danny Wexelman just tweeted out that we're going to have two players in the World Series that were born in 2002. So Evan, Evan Carter and Jordan Lawler. Uh, yes, we are old. We're getting older. Um, we will talk to you, of course, during the World Series. Game one coming up Friday night in Arlington. Rangers and Diamondbacks. It's going to be a good one. We'll talk to you along the way. For David, for James, for our great producer, Dan Work. I'm Justin. We will talk to you soon on Tone of the Slab. Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media.